scooped up by Kyle. Butler is on him. They get a handoff for Kawhi. The Atkins sets a screen. Here's Kawhi. Lowry. Y Kawhi Leonard. Hacia adentro Kawhi, vaya mate. Qué respingo. So that was a bit better, no matter what language you listened to it in or how you watched it, whether you're in arena or watching it on Sportsnet. Raptors win a pivotal Game 5, 125-89, take a 3-2 series lead in Philly, the Game 5 winner of a best of seven. When it's 2-2, wins the series 82% of the time. So we can take a deep breath now. Donovan Bennett, this is Free Association with J.D. Bunkus and Stevie Lung, who is there covering the game. And to me, fellas, as much as we want to talk about Embiid and what he was well, shooting, what, what the fans were doing, and the bench finally stepping up, to me, this game was all about the defensive effort. Oh, I thought you were going to say Drake. Drake's Drake most or high? Drake's most valuable moment was starting the plane. There's no doubt about it. Do we know that he started it? Ah, <laughs> uh, sure looked like it. I, I mean, mean, he had the most expensive seats and was doing it. Here's the thing. Most famous guy gets the most credit yeah, in that situation. True. That's true. His lead pack. If, unless, where was Navbadia and all that? Did we have a shot of Navbadia potentially beating Drake to that? He was waving the BioSteel yeah. towel. Other than Drake and his Breaker High hoodie. Which was uh, awesome. Who even remembers that show? I really? remember that. Did you guys not watch Breaker High? I did. I did oh, but but like, I had forgotten <laughs> about it until I saw like Drake with the hoodie on. Well, uh, Ryan Gosling wants you to forget about oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> I watched the crap out of Breaker High. I remember Ryan Gosling and his relationship, him being sad, him throwing up the Christmas lights when he finally asked out his girlfriend. I remember Jimmy, funny, funny Jimmy. Oh, man. Breaker High is a classic. I remember you guys the theme go back song. And check the that's tape. about it. Oh, yeah. No. Did everybody want to go to school on a cruise? No. Cruises, cruises it was are the really most terrible. ridiculous yeah, concept. Yeah, it really was. You know, you know what a nice place to, I don't know, get rid of somebody? Go on a cruise. In terms of those shows, Hang Time and Saved by the Bells, as far as I was willing to go, I was not watching Breaker High. Uh, I loved Breaker High in the moment, but yeah, it's hard to envision a scenario where parents are like, hey, uh, we're going to send our kids on a cruise. Uh, that's good schooling right there. I'm with you, though. I think cruise is one of the most overrated things that you could possibly have. Imagine breaking up with someone on a cruise, like day one. You got nowhere You're just to go. stuck there. You're just on the boat. Well, that's their problem. That's not your problem. <laughs> I think that's your problem. Uh, I don't think you've broken up enough to know uh, if you don't think it's your problem. No, I just feel no ways about it. Yeah. I think the 76ers might be going on a cruise yeah. if the Raptors defense continues at the level that it's at. 7-1 when they allow under 100 points in the playoffs. 3-1 this series. And Philly, 1-10 on the year when they score under 100. And this plays into the Embiid conversation a little bit. I think we're going to know in the first five, first ten minutes of game six who's going to win that game and thus win the series because I think this Philly team is full of some front runners. And when things get tough and when things are a little bit difficult, I could see them shutting it down, starting to point fingers, Brett Brown having that tie get a little too loose. And as much as I respect their talent, I don't respect their character and their camaraderie. And Embiid said earlier in the series that chemistry doesn't matter. And I think we're seeing... As large as the sample size is, it's now five games. Chemistry does matter. Yeah, it absolutely does. And that, to me, was the biggest thing that struck me about uh, Joel Embiid's kind of post-game presser yesterday, or last night, I guess. Because Brett Brown, after the game, he came out and he said the right things, you know, like how... Like, right, I mean, I think we got, hit in the, we got hit in the mouth. Toronto came in and they hit us in the mouth, and we... we tried to fight back and we just didn't have the firepower on to, on the night to respond the way that I wished that we did. As far as the spirit, for sure, during the game, it took a little bit of a dent, but it's accumulated back. We can claw that back in a heartbeat. Like, you know, I, this, we have a great group of guys. 
for a team that hasn't been with each other that long, there's a resiliency, there is a togetherness that contradicts what the calendar says we have spent together. And so how do we get that back? We just go back and start understanding, you know, what are the, what are the ripple effects of why we lost? You know, it's not going to be we're going to put on a, 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 a motivational tape or something over here of a speech. It's going to be this is what we need to do to win. This is what we need to fix. This is what we have to repeat to win. And to, to think like anything deeper for me, I'm not doing it. I've been around these guys enough to believe in them. And uh, I'm excited to go play basketball again in Philadelphia in game six. The Sixers kind of lost their spirit and they got punched in the mouth early in the first quarter and they just kind of deflated. And, and he was very willing to admit that. Which was and, surprising for me. Embiid then came out and someone asked him the exact same questions. Like, do you feel like your spirit kind of fell after uh, around like the first quarter, midway through the first quarter, things started to really snowball out of control for them? And Embiid's like, no. No, I mean, it's the same game plan. Uh, we make a couple of adjustments. Uh, I think I'm a pretty smart dude to figure it out uh, what type of adjustments. Uh, you know, obviously you need repetition, but uh, at the end of the day, I got to go out and do my job uh, tonight. Uh, made a couple of mistakes uh, that I got to fix. It very clearly wasn't last night, in particular because... Uh, it's, it's almost an annoyance at this point. Every kind of uh, media availability he's had, he's mentioned the danger of the Raptors' three-point shooting, how they're the number one three-point shooting team since Marcus All joined the team. And last night, uh, seems like the Sixers actually didn't listen to his message and decided to try to stop Kawhi Leonard freeing up everyone else. Well, I think the difference anyone? is they finally hit those shots, though. Well, yeah, and do you also blame them for that? Because the Pascal Siakam we saw was so different from game four to game five, that you saw them kind of scheme it up for Pascal early in the series, and it ended up working. And in that game, I thought that they just kind of left him to his own devices, and he proved them wrong early. And a huge mistake. It seemed to have caught them off guard a little bit. Did you guys hear Charles Barkley's comments on Joel Embiid? I did. About how... He walks around like he's on his deathbed. He drains the energy out of the team. They showed him walking into the game today. He's walking by himself. Like he's got, like he's on his deathbed. As as a star player, you can never show weakness. You got to keep the other guys involved in the game. That's what he does. He complains so much about being sick. He drains the energy out the room. They were crushing him, and especially for you, Stevie. Like you're down there, and I'm sure people are talking about it on a regular basis. But what do you th- guys think is going on there? Because I looked at his field goal percentage over the entire series today. It's 37 percent. He's seven foot freaking two, and he had a 33-point game in this series where he dominated. And I think there's just so many different theories out there as to whether or not he is what you say, Donovan, like the front runner where when things are going well, he's flying high, he's looking great, he's doing the airplane. When things are going poorly, he's dribbling the ball off his feet out of bounds. When a double comes, he's missing his shots. He's not as aggressive with his offense. His body language is really bad yeah, and, as well. And he's falling apart. And I'll say this. I think he's sick. Like I think he's actually dealing with something. But it's hard for me to understand how you can go from having a 33-point performance the way that he did in Game 3 to being this lackluster and then blaming it all on the sickness. Yeah, so he is most definitely sick. No doubt. You can tell he's laboring. He's not as explosive as he usually is. He's not as limber as he usually seems like during the regular season. But uh, to your point, the sickness... It could be an excuse, except when you're when you have that three three point performance and you're basically trolling the other team, and then you come out flat for the next two games. It's just bad. It's really poor look. Like you can't be flying high and feeling good, and like doing doing all this other nonsense one game, and then when you're a little off the next game because the sickness is once again caught back up to you, you're suddenly sulking on the bench. And you are playing poor defense. You're being lackadaisical on your defensive rotations. And you just, you can't hit a shot to save your life. 
You know who else is sick? Like one third of the population at any given time. Like it's allergy season. Michael Jordan was sick and he had a famous flu game. Like I just don't care. And and I'm not yeah. blaming Embiid because he's not the one who has been bringing it up. But Brown is the one who continues to bring it up. He seemed annoyed by the sneezing. Yeah. You know, I one mean, post game. Like, he's like, he's sitting there sneezing while I'm trying to go over the game tape. Like LeBron played what, four finals games with a broken hand? What are we talking about? Yeah. Here's Embiid in their wins. 22.5 points, 44% from the floor, three blocks in their two wins. In their losses, 13.3 points, 34% from the floor, one block in three losses. As much as we were talking about the two stars on each team, Kawhi and Embiid and their impact, Kawhi, he's almost so great and so steady that he doesn't really impact the wins or losses, it's really, is he going to get any help? He's Joel, just an inevitability, right? Exactly. He's the constant in this series. Joel Embiid is the opposite. He's a, a variable that's pretty wide either way. And there's always something with him, whether it's his knee or his arthritis or the sickness. I'm just a little bit over it because you have to keep it's that part same of the process, energy. man. Come on. Well, I mean, if you want to talk tough and you want to celebrate and listen, I'm all for that, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm Tim Anderson is my favorite baseball player at this point, but KG and Patrick Beverly did that all the time. Up 10, down 10. Joel Embiid, he is a bit of like the bully on the block who's only tough when he has some people behind them. I don't blame Brett Brown that much though because even when he's communicating these things and he's saying, yeah, Joel's messaging me at six in the morning. And that's Brown all. seems exasperated. That's, that's what I mean. That's I, the I, sense that I, that I get. So I don't know about you guys, but I felt for Nick Nurse heading into game four a lot because I could barely sleep. <laughs> I was so stressed out. At the time, we thought Pascal Siakam wasn't going to play, or at least there was a really good chance of it. And I was going back and forth in terms of what the lineup machinations were going to be and you know who was going to end up having to come in and out of that game and how they're going to start it and who was going to have to step up for them. And Siakam does end up playing and things go well. But imagine being Brett Brown and thinking kind of the same is true, that you always kind of have to have this one thing in the back of your head that you're accounting for, the potential that Joel Embiid but actually is. even more sick. important piece, right? Right? That, right, that all of a sudden Joel Embiid might drop out on you. And so you're spending all this mental energy thinking, okay, how do I scheme this up? What are we going to do with no Joel in the lineup? And he's had to do it, right? Like it has come to fruition in that Brooklyn series. Yeah, yeah. so he's had to go back and forth already in his mind as to what to do when accounting for no Joel Embiid. And I wonder how, for Brett Brown, someone who has been given a lot of credit in this series, especially early on about the adjustments he's made and when he's called timeouts and tried to regain the momentum with some of his groups and how he's done his substitution packages that were criticized a lot during the regular season. But just constantly having that weight of, what the hell is Joel Embiid going to tell me today? What am I going to say from my best player today? And I just think it can't just weigh on him. It has to weigh on the entire team. And that's why I think if the Sixers lose the series, it's really Joel Embiid's fault, injury or not. See, I disagree. I think if the Sixers lose the series, it's Ben Simmons' fault. Oh, Ben Simmons is the oh, first man. overall pick. He's an all-star. He won Rookie of the Year, even though he wasn't really a rookie. And he's been maybe a role player. He's certainly not their second-best player. He's probably their fourth, even though he's a big part of their future. Redick and Simmons, when you compare their backcourt last night to Lowry and Green... They were dominated. Reddick and Simmons combined for 10 points. Lowry and Green combined for 36. Reddick and Simmons, 4 of 11 from the floor. Lowry and Green, 10 of 17. They were 1 for 3 from 3. And you know that 1 comes from Reddick, not Simmons. 7 of 12 for 3 from Lowry and Green. And and Lowry and Green got to the line 9 times. Reddick and Simmons only got to the line once. Simmons is athletic. He gets a lot of deflections. But he hasn't slowed down Kawhi Leonard at all. Uh, when they've made that tactical change. Despite Brett Brown insisting, you know, he's he's done an okay job, yeah, I swear. I guess. I mean, <laughs> okay. making the highlight reel shots look a little bit more highlight reel, I suppose, but he's still getting to his spots. He's still taking his shots under control. And then offensively, what offense in the history of basketball in clutch situations took their point guard and put him in the dunker spot because they didn't trust him? He is hamstringing them. And, oh, by the way, Jared Dudley was probably giving him a compliment when he said he's average in the half court because he's below average. That was actually, yeah. We've spent a lot of time talking about the Sixers, though, and just like what the Sixers are doing wrong and who to blame on the Sixers. So my sense is that you guys feel like yesterday was more about the Sixers and their incompetence uh, or their lack of execution than it was about the Raptors. It was a combination of both. For sure. I, 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 would, but, I would say it was But they're the lead to, story to yeah, Yes, it's definitely the lead story okay. just because of... Uh, Embiid's disappearing act, right, for mm-hmm. the second game in fact, second game straight. He actually had a better performance 
uh, last night than in, than in Game Four. But uh, because of like the the home crowd kind of like mocking him with the airplane celebration and like Kawhi just dunking on him and just beasting <sighs> on him, man, like it just. Looked terrible. That's the best picture in Raptors history. Yeah. Like it's Vince Carter at the dunk contest, maybe flying through there. Like if you were a Raptor fan, you were going to get a tattoo, and it had to be of a player of an iconic moment for the Raptors. I think you're going Vince one at the dunk comp, and two is Which now. Vince? There's there, there's a couple. See, I think Vince waving his arms to the side saying it's over. Or actually, Kenny yeah, Smith was yeah, also yeah. saying it's over. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's the moment. You know it, what? That's good. It sums up that entire dunk competition. And then later, when he would be traded to the Nets, it summed up that era of basketball. I think actually, though, JD, because you're right, this is a podcast in Canada talking about NBA from a Raptors perspective, and we're hardly talking about the Raptors. I think they're actually not mutually exclusive, and that mm-hmm. the narrative is about both is that the Raptors reverted back to their mean in terms of taking and making open shots. And when that happened, when we got really the truest sense of what this team should be since game one, then the Sixers reverted back to being the team that is dumbfounded, that doesn't communicate defensively, and that doesn't give max effort. The non-Kawhi Raptors in this series, game one, 63 points, game two, 54, game three, 62, game four, 62, game five, 104 points from Raptors that were not Kawhi Leonard. To me, that's the story. If they get any type of help, they're a beast to deal with. How many points of that was Eric Moreland? Because I missed that part <laughs> when I switched over to catch up on Barry. Like, I'm a few episodes behind on that that's show. That's what PBR so. is I mean, for. it's yeah. the old cliche, right? It's a make-or-miss yeah. league. And the Toronto Raptors uh, last night, they finally made their open shots. So if you're a Raptors fan, like, coming off that Game 5 like victory, you're on cloud nine right now mm-hmm. because everyone performed like two regular season levels and, and above, including Fred Van Vliet, who decided to finally show up. You know, I, I guess I guess all those sh- kind of short jokes that uh, Danny Green was poking, seemed to be poking at him <laughs> in practice finally, finally woke him up a little bit. But everyone seemed to, to wake up. And it's even more encouraging because this was actually Kawhi's worst game in the series by far. He still scored 21, and he had like those massive, impactful, emotional moments, like the big dunk before... Yeah the halftime, the big dunk on MB, like we just discussed, but efficiency-wise, he was not the Kawhi Leonard that we have seen just destroying worlds. I love how he had a double-double in the first half, and we're saying this is his worst game in the series by far, but it's true because he was playing Jordan-like for the other four games. They needed him to. Yeah, And I'll give a couple pieces of credit here. Raptors, after the first quarter, were winning the game despite Kawhi Leonard only having five points and being two of six. And I thought that was just about as positive an indicator you could get at that point in the game. It's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe you could have a bigger lead, but Kawhi has five freaking points and you're winning this ball game. And yeah, I'm with you. I think it, both things can be true, right? That the Sixers were terrible, that they were not a good version of themselves. They folded up, but that's and the in Raptors part. pounced on it. Right, but that's the thing is that the Raptors gave you your, their best ball and it really hurt the Sixers. And it showed you what some people had brought up like uh, on, on Good Show, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to. I think it was Tim Bontemps after game three. He said, I'm really curious to see how the Sixers respond to being the front runners in this series and what happens if they lose game four. And it goes back to that same thing that you mentioned, that mental fortitude of Philly and whether they have it and how much it's spread amongst the team by their best player, Joel Embiid, struggling. But the Raptors were awesome in that game, like top to bottom. It's really hard to nitpick at just about anything in that game. Like, I think we haven't seen a game in this series, and I tweeted this last night, where both teams have been at their best where we've seen like the, the two best iterations of these groups at the same time. I think the Sixers were at their best in Game 3, and I think the Raptors were at their best last night. Game 4 was night. the closest to... But like, even still, none of the it. other Raptors were making a shot it's in Game true. 4. Yeah. It was still Kawhi going Super Saiyan and just figuring it out all on his own. And for the Sixers, it was kind of the same thing. Like Joel Embiid wasn't that hot in Game 4. He's their best player. It still came down to Jimmy Butler, and it came down to J.J. Redick threes. Like it, it hasn't, we haven't seen as complete a picture by either team, I think, quite like we saw from the Raptors in that game, where it's Danny Green knocking down his open shots, right? That's what he gets paid for. It's Pascal Siakam giving you 25, that beautiful secondary scoring, and plus the defense that you get off of Kawhi Leonard. It's Marcus Gasol, who I think, strangely enough, over the last couple of games, the need for Marcus Gasol to assert himself more offensively has resulted in the right amount of Marcus Gasol that they need. Like, it, it seems to have broken him out of his shell, his resiliency to shoot. You did. You mentioned Fred Van Vliet. You're getting some contributions from your bench and he and Serge Ibaka finally, like both of them on the same night. And 
Kyle Lowry stuffing the, the box score all the way across. And that's the formula for the Raptors to me. Like, if you can continue to get that mix from those players, maybe not at that level every single night, you're not going to shoot 40% from three every single game. But if you can get that mix around Kawhi Leonard, that's the team that had everyone dreaming about a finals appearance about against Golden it State. It also makes you wonder, just like, if you get that version of the Raptors with their supporting cast and you get a beast mode Kawhi Leonard, like... You can beat anybody. Yeah, exactly. In my in my mind, the Raptors have a shot to beat any team in the in a league in a best of seven series. Especially if you've got Pascal playing the way he did last night, back to his form, twenty five and eight. Kyle, you mentioned st- the stats plus thirty one, and that's the number you really want to look at with Kyle. But a guy that we've barely mentioned, you alluded to him hitting some open shots. It's Danny Green, seventeen series high for him, hit five threes, and I think more than anything it just settles everyone knowing that all right of course this is the guy that we trust to hit those open corner threes and if he sticks the most open shot he's had in the series the series is over him getting back to his normal self is important and and the other thing with Gasol and you mentioned him the matchups and trying to abuse Tobias Harris or pull Joel Embiid away from the rim has forced him to shoot a little bit more even when he's being left open for a reason He's almost been, for the last couple weeks, that guy, you know, on your rec league, he's like on the waiver list. So like, if you need a sub, he can play and be registered, but he doesn't play with you all the time. And so he doesn't really want to take shots. He doesn't want to impose his will. And you've got to be like, dude, like you're open. Take a shot. Take a shot. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need these threes in a key. Take a shot. And finally, I think out of necessity, you're right. It's broken him out of his slump where he's not looking to make the extra, extra pass. If you're open, shoot it. I think he has such a brilliant basketball mind that when he's wide open from three, he's thinking about his percentage and thinking, really, we can only get a 33% shot. I think we can do better. I think we can make a pass. I think we can move the ball around. I think we can look for something. And what he is starting to realize, or I think he's just, yeah, part of it is just getting more comfortable. Part of it is necessity. Part of it is just like, yeah, shaking off that old rust. Like, hey, you used to be Marcus Saul. Like, you used to be a 20-point guy. You used to be the lead dog on a basketball team. Like, when you're wide open and they're begging you to shoot, don't be the guy who's afraid to shoot. He's I also loved, probably never been on a team this talented before. Where he's not wide open. Not complete. All due respect to uh, the Grindhouse Grizzlies. But, yeah, top to bottom, starting five, this is a better unit. The Grizzlies never had a Kawhi Leonard with Marcus Gasol, and Marcus Gasol was never a Kawhi Leonard. But it's almost like he's... He's remembering who he is. <laughs> He's getting back to what makes Marcus Gasol great. Is the passing is terrific. The Raptors, I think, from the trade forward, were second in the NBA in passes. They all of a sudden went from this team that stagnated and didn't have any ball movement to a team that thrived on it and made it work. And Gasol, to me, has been... like You see why they traded for him. Not only in the defense of Joel Embiid, which, yes, Embiid's hurt, but there's no doubt... Gasol's doing a great job on him, but yeah. he's making him work. He doesn't just get to body him the way that he does smaller forwards. Gasol has done a terrific job on him in the past, but yeah, we're starting to see kind of that, that balance of what he can be at his best. And I think that's probably pretty terrifying for every other team looking at this moving forward. Like Marcus Gasol starting to feel comfortable with this group. He's not just the coach on the floor. He's not just a facilitator. He's someone who can take a shot too. When the trade first happened and people were kind of losing their minds because Gasol wasn't, being the great offensive player, I, I wasn't too concerned because if you'd seen Marcus Gasol play, you understand the kind of player he is. Like I, I agree that he did need to become a little more aggressive with his shooting stroke during the postseason. That has come. Just like the dual center, the kind of different sides of the same coin with, with him and Ibaka, mm-hmm. it gives the Raptors a luxury that most other teams don't have because you can have like matching production from the center mm-hmm. position almost interchangeably if they're both on. I mean, it's kind of been a bit of a struggle for Ibaka uh, in this series, but hopefully game five has has got him going. Like, he got that mid-range shot going. Uh, He's playing much better defense against Embiid, and uh, he he looked a lot more confident. It seems like the Kawhi elbow, like when he saw his own blood, (laughs) like like awakened something within him. I like what you said, though, about Danny Green, that we didn't touch on him, because I was thinking about this last night. Danny Green, to me in game five, almost embodied the Toronto Raptors. Where it's like, you know you're going to get great defense almost every single night. There's been one game all playoffs where they haven't played good defense. And that's what Danny Green is always doing. But how are we going to judge you ultimately? It's on the shot making. 
And Danny Green last night made shots. And when he makes shots, it completely changes the ceiling of this team because all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam are so much more dangerous getting into the paint. And I just thought there was some really beautiful symmetry in terms of him knocking down those shots and what the Raptors had been missing throughout this entire series. Yeah, Kawhi did a great job of facilitating finding Green and Gasol for threes. The fans were engaged. I, to be honest, I think this was the best performance of the building in the playoffs. And it, it's easy to do that when your team is late. playing so well. Well, one, see the pictures? one fan showed up late. Drake. Did you see the pictures, though? Bruce Arthur has been on this for a little while. Kind of pointing out that it's late arriving crowd, and I know that's hey, I, man. I, Bay Street traffic is no joke. I'm not a I'm not a Front fan Street of construction. Eight no o'clock joke. start, man. It's yeah. You, you can you can you make can it. get there. You can you make can it get after there. work. Yeah, you can get there. <laughs> they were there when it counted. It, but, yeah, it's, it's been something that's talked about like within like the press gondola that I'm in, where it was like, hey, like it's eight o'clock. The ball's about to tip. They're they're singing Oh Canada and mm-hmm. the sing it loud, sing it proud is not coming across at all. Yeah, as long as they're there for uh, when it counts. See, my issue is not the beginning of the game, but third quarters. When you come back from halftime and you look, and Gucci Row is pretty much empty because everyone is in the Shirt Club or whatever lounge they want to be in, and the 15 minutes on the clock is not enough time to get out of your seat, go get a couple in you, and come back. I, to me, it's the start of the second half that bothers me more than the start of the game. But Stevie, you were there, you were down there, and you asked the most interesting question that, to me, elicited the most interesting response because no offense, I find all of the post game press conferences mostly useless, but Stevie, you asked Joel Embiid, who's trusting the process with Under Armour about those fans mocking his flying celebration. All right, Joel, um, when you were subbed off in the, in the fourth quarter, like the fans kind of like did the airplane celebration that you did in game three, did that bother you at all? Or did you even notice it? I didn't notice. I just saw them uh, shake their bodies. Um, I didn't pay attention about what the hell they were doing. Uh, well, good for them. Uh, like I said, like I just mentioned, uh, you know, I don't care if it off- offends anybody about what I do. Uh, it's all about having fun. Uh, so uh, I don't care. Uh, and I'm going to do that because I know I'm going to dominate. Number one, thank you for asking the question because I was afraid nobody was going to. Number two, he didn't notice. 18,000 people were doing it. What do you mean shaking their bodies? Their arms were out (laughs) on either side. What what was the room like after that answer? And also just for for context, uh, before I asked that question, like Embiid kind of responded to another question where he reiterated a lot of the same points where he said how he's going to play with a smile in game six because that's what's going to energize him and that's what allows him to dominate and he doesn't care if he offends people with his, uh, you didn't use the word, but with, with his antics, right? So right after my, my question, I think they started answering questions in French and <laughs> I don't know French whatsoever. So <laughs> we need to get you a Becherel while you're down there. Do we believe that though? Because he didn't play with a smile in game five he was maybe didn't notice they were celebrating like that because he was checking the stat sheet on the bench. He definitely saw them. And I, I mean, he very pointedly said, like, I didn't know what the hell they were doing. He's like, come on, buddy. Like, you clearly saw people with their arms spread out wide going, ooh. <laughs> I do think right? he's the kind of guy that gets would be motivated by something like that. And, Isn't that a problem? And What do you mean? Well, that that he's so up and down? Yeah, it's absolutely a problem. takes... At this time of year, if that's what's motivating yeah. you? Yes, yes, absolutely. And this is one of the problems I have with Joel Embiid is I agree with some of the stuff that you were saying earlier about him being a bit of a front runner and him kind of checking out mentally. And when he feels like there are a lot of players in a lot of sports, and I won't name exactly who, but I have heard stories about where you can tell what they're going to have it in warm-ups that night. And their teammates have said it, and some of those players even say it explicitly to their teammates about not having it. Like, I don't have it tonight. And I think Joel Embiid is one of those guys. I will say this. 
some DJ better use that as a drop somewhere. Like the, I see them moving their bodies. Like that's our shaking their bodies. Like that's basically the best result out of this whole thing is that's, that's it. Like you got to use some Philly DJ drops that in, uh, or maybe not a Philly DJ. Maybe it has to be a Toronto DJ. DJ. Yeah. That needs to be a Drake. Yeah. Drake needs to, yeah. You know what? Maybe Drake needs to just quit that. At the end of this entire series. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your business, Drake. You're doing fine without me, but yeah, maybe throw that one in, maybe drop that Joel Embiid one in. Yeah. He saw it bothered him. And, uh, for a guy who's talking about how he wants to have fun, he's like, yeah, let it, let it slide off. Let and the fans to, have their fun. And to that point, the, the comments he made about, like, in order for him to dominate, he needs to be smiling and having fun and, like, trolling the opponent. That is the very epitome of a front runner, right? It's like, yeah, like, I'm feeling it and I'm having a great game because I'm stomping on inferior competition right now. I mean, there's a little bit of a pushback. I like, won't Whoa, lie, buddy. that's me when I play basketball. Whoa. <laughs> if I'm playing someone worse, I'm a great guy to play with. If I'm playing someone better and I'm second, like that's me. Well, he is the opposite of Kawhi in that sense, and the performance was the opposite of Kawhi. I'm glad that we got the question asked and we got the answer. Uh, this has been fun. Thanks, Stevie. Yeah, no problem. So stop me if you have this problem in your family that one person that never knows what channel the game is on where to find it for me and my family it's my mother always asking me are you gonna be on this show at this day oh i missed this how do i see it so i said mom i can't do this can't go back and forth you need sportsnet now and here's why because it hooks you up you get them on multiple devices ps4 amazon fire tv xbox chromecast apple tv or just apple products you can get any app store get it on your phone but what you get is video on demand. So you can find those videos that you may have missed, games, episodes of Tim and Sid, all right there for you on a device. And it gives you a 24-hour look back. So maybe you weren't planning on seeing Jamal Murray go crazy late at night in quadruple overtime for the Nuggets. But you saw on the next day that I might want to see those highlights. You can go back and watch the entire game we've got you taken care of but if you're like me you want to watch your sports live we got you covered there too got the stanley cup playoffs on sportsnet and cbc you've got the raptors on sportsnet sportsnet one jays on sportsnet or sportsnet one on sportsnet 360 how do we keep it all straight the split screen view allows you to do that you can choose between two great games on at the same time anytime if you've got teams and multiple pools or sports teams that you really love and you don't want to choose you don't have to and it's not just in basketball and football and baseball chl tour de france wwe indycar series your favorite sports for you in the same place 24 7 access sportsnet we got you covered it's sportsnet now get on your phone get on all your devices do it immediately Thanks to Stevie once again, always asking good questions in the post-game pressers covering the series for us at Sportsnet. Make sure you read his stuff at sportsnet.ca. Uh, you've got some burning questions on your mind that you want to get off your chest? I was thinking about a few different things last night. We kind of touched on some of them in the opening block. But yeah, as Stevie's leaving, he's telling us that he's covering the, the Sixers locker room. And I was with you guys on the idea that this is... Last night was as much about the Sixers as it was the Raptors. You can make the case either or, that it was the Raptors showing their best version of themselves and finally, yeah, giving us the full reach of their potential. But also Philadelphia having that front-runner mentality, a star player in Joel Embiid who has not been healthy, does not appear to be in terrific shape, and is dealing with, I don't know, a, a gang of different illnesses. Like, I can't really... It started as the flu or something, and then it's now a respiratory disease, and he had the wonky knee. It's a, it's a lot of different things. And you also mentioned that you believe that Ben Simmons is the public enemy number one for you when the series wraps up, which is, I mean, fair to a degree because the guy's averaging nine and a half points, and he's getting to the line less than once a game this entire series with seven rebounds and under five assists, which is not exactly what you'd come to expect from a guy who... Yeah, many have pegged as already a top 15 player in the NBA. And I think for the Sixers, you don't want to be overly reactionary, but if you reach the offseason and you get bounced in game six on your home floor, I feel like there's a decision that they have to make. And 
like clearly they have to make decisions about whether they resign Jimmy Butler or whether they resign JJ Redick. But the process has come to a close here. This is who you are. This is what you have. There's no more picks in the coffer. There's no more potential of a guy like Markel Fultz. You're a fully grown baby. I don't know if Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons fit together. And I don't know who you build around because one guy on one hand has the inability to potentially stay healthy in Joel Embiid. Like he's had multiple injuries and he's turned 25 and it's going to be only be harder for a seven footer to stay healthy. But on the other, you have Ben Simmons who in my mind has been the most non-factor in this entire series. Like I don't even understand how there haven't been moments like last night where Joel doesn't have it. And Brett Brown doesn't say to him, listen, we need your offense tonight. We need you to score. We need you to get to the basket. We need you to create for others. And he has a complete no showing and really doesn't do anything. Like, I think he had seven points. He sucked. So I guess my questions to you are like, one, do you think that those two guys fit together? And two, if you could only build around one, who are you building around? I don't think it's even much of a choice. I think it's Embiid. Yeah. Embiid. The only reason I said is because he had injuries, though. But he's arguably the best or one of the best defensive players in the league in terms of room protection he's still elite he's bigger and a better shooter he's a, almost better at every skill other than passing and it's not that he's a poor passer just and running simmons is an exceptional one i mean other than staying healthy but ben simmons missed the first season of his career also due to health he's a bit younger but his ceiling is not close to what Embiid's ceiling like Embiid's ceiling is some version of elijah Wan and Shaq. like those are two Hall of Famers. Ben Simmons' ceiling is like a taller Jason Kidd, which is also obviously a Hall of Famer, but that's assuming that he gets a reliable three-point shot at some point of his career. And I'm not certain that at the age of 22, that's going to start happening. Jason Kidd could shoot threes. He just Mm -hmm. shot them more consistently. Ben Simmons doesn't look at the basket from three. And the other thing in terms of look when you're watching this series, there are large stretches of it where you forget that Simmons is on the floor. It's and that's true. never the case with Embiid. Even when he's not playing well, you realize that he's there. He still has some sort of a presence, which is why they've had losses where he's still been a plus for them. So Simmons has also played really good defense in this series. Like you're watching him and Kawhi has clearly been robotic and Kawhi has killed him. And I mocked Ben Simmons because after game one, when Kawhi went off on them, he had that quote like, I thought we did a pretty good job, even though Kawhi Leonard scored something like 35 points in that game. And yet, as I've been watching this series, to me, it's pretty clear Simmons is the best option on Kawhi that Philadelphia has. Like when he's guarding Kawhi, I think he's making it hardest for him out of anybody. He does have that elite, elite transition game. You alluded to the the Jared Dudley point he made in the first round, which is like, yeah, he's amazing in, in the fast break and he's average in half court. And I think that's true. I don't like to write a guy off when he's 22 years old, but I just, I'd be worried if I'm Philadelphia of trading Ben Simmons and then having him be a worse version of Giannis where you free him up to have the basketball. You let him attack the rim. You mentioned him being in the dunker spot. I don't know why he can't excel getting to the basket with a team surrounded by shooters. And that's, what's so confusing to me again about last night. And probably one of the more damning things is like, before you get too far, yeah, where's the urgency? Giannis is not much older than him. Giannis is 24. Yeah. You said a worse version of Giannis athletically. Mm -hmm. They're pretty similar. If If we ran them through a combine, they test out, Pretty close to the Simmons same. is the better ball handler. Simmons is the better ball handler. So what's the difference between the two of them right now? I think there's a couple of things. I think Giannis, even when you watch his series is against Philadelphia this year, like he wants it. He just loves being that guy. He's mentally stronger. He's definitely a better shooter and a more willing shooter and a more confident player and a more consistent player. And when I look at Giannis, he is the focal point of his offense. And I think the difficulty for Simmons and what... I think is part of the problem is that he's just, he's in a really bad spot. Like he's next to Joel Embiid, who you mentioned is the baby Shaq. It's really difficult to play with baby Shaq and figure out what your role can possibly be, especially when they bring in a Jimmy Butler. And now you've got to learn how to accommodate Jimmy Butler. You have JJ Redick. JJ Redick needs his shots. Now they're trading for Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris needs his shots. I think Simmons is in a little bit of that role that we, we talked about Saul, where he's in that shell of himself right now, where he can't figure out, what that proper balance is between him asserting himself offensively and getting his own buckets versus when it's right to look for his own teammates. I really believe that if you take Ben Simmons and you put him on a roster where the formula is similar to what those Cleveland Cavalier teams used to be or what the Milwaukee Bucks have where it's Giannis and a bunch of shooters and some pace, that you will have a lot of success because he's a really good rebounder. He's a really good defender, which leans to you having a fast break offense. 
And he's someone, when he gets out in transition, is one of the more dangerous players in the league. He's someone that in isolation, you really need to put a wing player on him, which means that somewhere else you're going to have a mismatch where a larger shooter should be able to take advantage of that over the top. I would still build around Simmons, even though, again, it's super troubling to me that he has not been able to assert himself with a weaker Embiid. And it's just simply because he's three years younger. I see that skill set. And the scariest thing to me right now is that Embiid with the knee, I think that's the real thing that's going on here. I think that there's an element of them overshadowing how much the knee hurts and them discussing it with, it's the sickness, it's the illness, it's something that he'll get over. Don't worry about it. That's why his conditioning is bad. That's why he's gassing out. That's why we need to take him off the floor in six minutes. I think it's hard for Joel Embiid to maintain this high level of play over an entire season. And I think if you're looking at any team that is going to circle what the Raptors did with Kawhi Leonard last year with load management, it's going to be the Sixers with Joel Embiid moving forward because they can't have this version of him because they can't win with this version of him. And so I give the slight edge to Simmons, but you're almost hamstrung because whichever decision you make feels like one you're going to end up losing. Like, how do you get proper value back for either of those guys? I don't think you can. I think the difference between Simmons and Giannis is in their chest. Giannis plays incredibly hard. That is his skill. And people, when we look at draft prospects, we say, oh, this guy has a high motor. This guy's a high effort guy. And we say that as it's an intangible and who knows how much it matters. Well, no, that's that's a skill. Mm-hmm. Because if it wasn't, everyone would have it. Or, or people would learn it over the course of their careers. And we've seen time and time again that they don't. And again, at 22 years, he's going to be 23 in July, I don't think Ben Simmons is going to learn that skill. This guy was the best player in college basketball and didn't make the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. at LSU, not a, a small school. John Morant made the NCAA tournament at Murray State. Like, and Some people just have that dog. Others don't. I don't think Ben Simmons has. And to me, I think the interesting comp would be Russell Westbrook. Who Their games are similar. Ben Simmons is just a bigger version. And Westbrook has had his issues in the playoffs because there are flaws in his game. But no one has questioned how hard he plays. If anything, he's tried too hard. And if Simmons had one-tenth of the amount of effort that Westbrook had, he would be more of a monster than he already is because he's just a taller, bigger, stronger version of Westbrook. So to me, it would be Embiid. People are going to talk about him checking the stat sheet on the bench. I didn't really care about that because... Neither did I. We wouldn't care about it if they were up 20. Guys look at the stat sheet at the post-game presser all of the time. I didn't receive that at him looking at his stats. He could have looked up at the scoreboard to see his own stats. I think he was looking at how they did as a team to figure out how did we get here? How do we get to this place? Well, what's he supposed to do anyway? Like, he's supposed to watch Eric Moreland? He's like, oh, I'm going to glean something from this. As long as he didn't check his phone. Yeah, the Sixers went from a team that was checking cell phones to a team that's checking the box scores. I'd say that's good progress. One of my other questions I want to ask you is, who do you think yesterday was most important for for the Toronto Raptors? Because they had five starters and double figures, something that they haven't seen. I don't think all playoffs. Maybe I'm wrong on that one, but... It was their biggest margin of victory in franchise history. Kawhi Leonard has been incredible throughout the entire postseason. And I'll even accept him as an answer because he's finally getting help and maybe that frees him up to do other things. But was there one player in particular that stuck out to you as like, hey, this was a bigger game for you than some of the other Raptors? I mean, I want to lean Danny Green because, you know, the 17 points, five rebounds, five made threes was impactful. And... We saw a shadow of that player, but since we've already talked about him at length and I want to provide good content, I'm going to say Fred Van Vliet. Because previously on this podcast, I said Fred Van Vliet might be playing himself out of this series. Really not so much out of any fault to him, just out of fault because of his height or lack thereof. But, you know, there's a sequence last night where he's guarding Jimmy Butler one-on-one in the post, taking shots to his chest as he backs him down. Did a great job. He's forced to switch. He's now switching on Joel Embiid. Outstanding defense by Fred. And he picks it. Van Vliet steals it from Embiid. Pow, now to Kawhi. The slam dunk. His first field goal in the Raptors by four. If he can channel a little Kyle Lowry and get in great defensive position, use his leverage, and just be an irritant for five to six minute stretches in either half, then he can stay in the series. If not, then I think we will get the patented. I'll give you a look in the first half. If you got something great, if you don't, we won't see you in the second half. I think that's a really good answer because he 
I think I said it on here. I don't, I don't know if I've seen a guy with the yips the way that he had it. This was his post-game quote. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could sit here and tell you how, you know, I'm a team player and, uh, you know, I'm locked in and I'm playing great defense. But, I mean, I, I know what it is. I feel it just like you guys see it. And, uh, you know, staying engaged and staying locked in is the easy part. To, and, and to be upset with yourself and to be disappointed is it's part of the game. It's part of being a human being. I'm not a robot. I'm not a, uh, you know, I go out there and I go through the highs and lows just like anybody else, but it's being able to navigate through that and still bring the non-negotiables to the table, which is the defense, the leadership, the energy. Um, File a couple guys a couple times. And, um, you know, the rest of that stuff will balance out. I think it's a lot of it is, is uh, the, the rotation and uh, the minutes and the looks and the, the offense, and, and I'm caught up in all of it, but, you know, it'll turn around. And I think yesterday was a pretty positive indicator that he is going to turn around because you just saw, man, I want to know how he felt when that first three dropped. And scooped up by Powell. Gives it to Fred. Quick trigger three. Freddie V. 12 to one run. Thank God. I honestly felt like he was just Steve Young, you know, taking the monkey off his back. Like if guys just even did that to him, that it wouldn't have been inappropriate. Like he has been in such a funk that if you can just get a a bad version of Fred Van Vliet, like a mediocre version of Fred Van Vliet, like you're thrilled with that right now. You just can't have the version that you saw in the first couple of games where he's killing you and he's forcing the 33 or 34-year-old Kyle Lowry to overexert himself for a whole bunch of series because that's the fear to me. It's not so much that Fred kills you over the seven minutes. It's the Chris Paul effect of Kyle Lowry where what happens if the Raptors get through this round, you keep asking more of Kyle and eventually he incurs the yearly Chris Paul injury, right? Something starts to go wrong with him. He's in a wonky spot. Now you have to lean on Fred Van Vliet. Now you have to re- lean on Jeremy Lin. You just don't have the depth behind him. You don't have the DeLon right to kind of bail you out or help some minutes. So I like that answer a lot. My guy was Pascal Siakam. And it's just like, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like if someone told me I got a calf contusion, I'm like, don't worry, I'll be fine in a couple of days. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. I didn't expect much from him. I expected a little bit better of a version. There was the whole Nick Nurse saying, we're going to see more from him. But the way he attacked in the first quarter by shooting those open three-point shots, not hesitating towards them, getting to the line. He went to the free throw line 10 times in that game. Like he shot 10 free throws, which I thought was awesome for him. He attacked their defense. He went at Joel Embiid. He went at anybody that was in front of him. And he's not proven in the playoffs. I know he had the big performance against the Orlando Magic, but the Sixers were the first team that were effective in slowing him down. And I think that for a young player to overcome a hurdle like playing the Sixers, having them scheme against you, having an injury, and then stepping back on the floor and knowing that you can still be a guy that drops 25 in a game is monumental. And a bit of a a lesson for the rest of the league that, hey, the Siakam stuff, you don't have to worry about it. It's for real. Yeah, I think it's a good point. It's because... He was, along with Kawhi, the constant until he was so bad in Game 4 and then kind of bounced back and was so bad in Game 5. Him being guarded by Embiid, which gave him a little bit more length, kind of seemed to spook him a little bit, and he didn't trust getting by him, didn't trust coming back to that left hand, spinning in the lane, and he was back on his energetic self. He was back rim-running, getting easy buckets, putbacks, big in-traffic rebounds, being that energy guy that they badly need alongside with Kawhi. So I think that's a good call. Yeah, we, we were talking about him as the second most important player on the team, right? Heading into the playoffs, that he has taken the mantle of the Raptors' number two guy. Nick Nurse even said so. When they asked him about him being the three option, he said, if that's happened, that's news to me because he's number two now. And slotting Kyle Lowry into that spot. Like, I, I know Kyle Lowry can do that in the playoffs. I've seen it before. I wasn't overly concerned about it. We needed to see it. It was incumbent on him to do it. But we've seen him and Marcus Gasol and Danny Green all perform in the playoffs we hadn't seen Pascal Siakam overcome adversity. So I thought uh, that was a big one. I was going to talk to you about Kyrie, but I feel like we're running along on this podcast and I wanted to uh, bring up something that was even more important. To we can talk about him when their season is over in a couple of days. I have a new, uh, since I'm back, we're, we're back at doing this. I wanted to bring you another subway gripe. Restaurant chain or no, no. the you mode of transportation? The mode of transportation. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're Jesse Smollett and had an <laughs> issue after you went to subway. Oh, is that where he was? He left, allegedly, subway at 2 a.m. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, who knows exactly uh, what, any, what any of the actual details to that story are. Are you riding the subway these days? I feel like you're off the rocket. You're, you're, you're a driving man now. You're father. You're, you're mature. You're, I, still, I still ride the rocket. You're still riding the rocket? I do. Okay. I thought about you uh, yesterday because I'm trying to get off at a busy subway stop, and these two guys won't move 
in rush hour away from the door. Like they're blocking the door. They're two bigger guys. And you throw down the excuse me, but the any human being should know that you should step off of the train, right? That it's not going to leave without you, that the door is going to close immediately. People have to get off the train. And my question to you is like, is that actually the biggest subway foul there is? And two, are you allowed, if it's a guy, to body that person in order to get off the train? Like, are you basically allowed to like borderline assault them to get to where you're going? Over the back foul is fine if yeah. you need to get off the train. <laughs> and the biggest foul is clearly putting a bag or a dog on dog? a seat. A when dog is a person. No. Did the dog pay fair to get on the train? I didn't ah, think so. Putting that's because they're too cute. Or a dog. Does the dog pay taxes so that the subway runs on time? Cute didn't tax. think so. Putting a, a bag or a dog on a seat that could be occupied by a human on a busy train. I mean, I don't, I don't even want you to put your dog if the train is empty on a seat. So I'm not trying to sit in your dog hair, number one. <laughs> but but furthermore, that you're occup- sitting in worse. O- occupying a, well, probably occupying a, a seat with multiple things other than your rear end is is the biggest subway foul. How's fatherhood? It's great. He's still alive and doesn't hate me yet. So <laughs> I like so far that. so those good. Are, those are your parameters, yeah. like uh, live. Gotta, are you sleeping? Just how's, keep how's him that? Is that overrated? Keep him out of jail. Is that an overrated thing? That what, new sleep? parents think. Yeah, sleep. I mean, I don't want to say it's overrated. Everyone's experience in parenthood is different. And also, I mean, the child doesn't need my breast every two and a half hours. So I think it would not be fair for me to say it's overrated. However, I will say this, that working in this industry or like industries, right? Media, communications, PR, you're used to being up late, getting up early, mm. having your eyes burning. So not to say that I was not been training. tired. I'm not tired. Not that I was training, but the feeling of being tired and having to function, it's not foreign to me. So it may be more of a shock for people who work in nine to five who don't bring their laptop or their cell phone home and they're literally off the grid once they're off. It may be more jarring for them, but I mean, we work in sports. Everything happens at night. So far, you've been grinding. I, th- I expected more of a, a downtime for you. I expected uh, less workload for you. You're throwing load management out the window. Like, you're Kawhi Leonard be damned. Like, I'll just take all the minutes. Well, a couple things. One, I'm West Indian. I'm Jamaican. We, the, my parents think I'm lazy because I only have one job. <laughs> and two, I mean, Desmond has to eat. Uh, Someone has to feed this child. Yeah. I, I have now more mouths to feed than I did before, so... I thought he's eating for free right now. He is, but fine. (laughs) Literally, he is eating for free, but figuratively, he needs to be clothed. Baby bonuses are not as lucrative as they may seem. Okay, so what's hard then? Because you're kind of like, you're you're kind of throwing this off and you're like, ah, no, sleep's no issue. Like, whatever. I don't know. Is this today's parent? Like, what's going on? Yeah, it is today's parent. I want to know what's going on with it. Uh, What's hard? What's hard for you right now? You're more of a baby than he is. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, no, I mean, like, this crying is hard, but he's like Kawhi. He's pretty chill. He doesn't cry that much. Doesn't like to be changed, but it's like I temporary. I would hate that. I would be he's like, why? What's going on? Why are you taking my clothes off? I'm comfortable. <laughs> like, what's going on? And then as soon as it's over, then he's back to his normal self. He's like a young Kawhi. Same facial expressions. <laughs> Same performance. That's really good. All right. Thanks for entertaining me with that. Well, thank you for the three people who are still listening. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm gone next week. I don't, I don't know. Are you here on Friday? Okay. I just said I'm West Indian. I'm here all the time. Okay. I'll see you back here, I guess, on Monday, hopefully for Raptors game one.